Welcome to the Physio Mentor Program, a program designed to prepare physiotherapy students for a career in a private practice. Private practice owners are frustrated that physiotherapy graduates are not ready for a career in a private practice on day one. And graduates feel very underconfident and they also don't feel ready for a career in a busy private practice. So we at PhysioMentor are bridging the gap and giving you the skills and the knowledge to be confident and ready to start your career on day one. Hi and welcome to PhysioMentor. Melissa Salmon here. Today we're going to be discussing the power of language in private practice. As a graduate, I don't believe there's anywhere in the university curriculum where you are taught about how to talk with a patient and the language that you should use in your rehabilitation or in your practice in order to get your patient on board and have great outcomes and results for your patients. But the language that you use will be a huge determining factor for your patients as to whether they complete their rehabilitation program, agree with your diagnosis and are willing to go to the ends of the earth to achieve the outcomes that they need for their condition. So what we're going to discuss in this audio today is some of the language that you may have picked up on at university in a very clinical model of training such as acute, chronic, recurrent, non-specific lower back pain, All of those words seem very non-threatening to us as therapists. But as we're going to show you in this audio, our patients often have misunderstandings of these words and this can be a problem in the future. So as graduates in physiotherapy, you are the future of our profession. What you say will really set the groundwork for the perceptions that people have about physiotherapists and also it will shape our patients' perceptions of us in the healthcare industry. You have the skills in your hands. You have the knowledge to create results and change in your patients. But couple those with the right language and how you say something And what you say, it will really give you the edge over other health professionals and especially in private practice. So the first thing you need to do is listen to your patients in the initial consultations. Listen and pick up on some of the words that they might be using. And these may be negatively impacting words that they've heard from other health professionals that they've come to the consultation with a predetermined diagnosis or condition. It may be words that they've picked up on from Dr. Google or on the internet. So it's really important that you pick up on some of these words that they are using because then you will use those words to remodel their their thinking and their understandings of their condition. The language that we use can really activate and motivate a patient or it can be the biggest barrier to change. So when we provide rehabilitation in the clinic, we're essentially changing behavior. So the language that we do use in order to change behavior 
is quite important. But one of the worst things that we find that is happening in the health profession is fear-mongering in our patients. And fear-mongering creates imagery and negative emotions in our patients that really create a barrier to stepping up and changing their conditions and getting the results that they need. So words such as crippled, injured, damaged, disability, they're all words that our patients really associate negative emotions with and find it very difficult to change behavior or change thinking patterns. So we hear the typical ones where you may have a 20 year old young man standing in your initial consultation and he's been told from another health professional that he's got the back of an 80 year old and then clearly he's not willing to bend or move or do any exercises for you because of that factor. You also hear the stories of women that have been told they have brittle bones. So their mental imagery is of these crumbling honeycomb bones in their body. So chances are when you try and educate this woman about the importance of exercise for her condition, she's going to be a little bit negative about wanting to do that based on the imagery she has around her bone structure. So I want to talk a little bit about a study that was done by Barker, Reed, Minns and Lowe in 2009. And it interviewed a number of members of the public that were involved in a focus group for lower back pain. What they found, and the health professionals that were involved in this study were not just physios, there was also chiropractors, GPs and osteopaths. But what they found was that the language that we do use fell into three categories. So number one, the language that we used was potentially leading to problematic misunderstandings in our patients. The second category was that the language that we were using had unintentional meanings that created a few negative repercussions in our patients. And the last category was that the language that we were using in healthcare was meeting the expectations and the intentions of understanding for our patients. I want to list off some of the common words that were included in this study. And it's quite surprising. For instance, in the first category, these terms led to problematic misunderstandings in our patients. So just have a listen to some of these words. Acute, chronic, recurrent, instability, non-specific lower back pain, managing your back pain, coping, wear and tear, exercise, disability. Surprising that list, isn't it? How many of those words do you currently use when you're discussing treatments or a diagnosis with your patient? The second category was words that had unintentional meanings to our patients and had some negative repercussions. And those words were lower back pain, mechanical back pain, muscle sprain, strain, sciatica, muscle imbalance, a disc prolapse, slipped, herniated, ruptured disc, and stenosis. So I think with those words, some of those words, the more clinical they become and the weird and wonderful, 
the more a patient conjures up some strange imagery in their head uh, that can be quite negative about their condition. So it's often a fear of the unknown. And the final category was language that when we use it as health professionals, the public understood the intention of what that word meant. And that was muscle spasm, sensation, manipulation, mobilization, soft tissue technique, and rehabilitation. Now notice majority of those words are actually treatment techniques. They're not words that we would use to describe a diagnosis in our patients. So perhaps we need to look at this study and feel the our downfall with our language may be more so primed towards when we're discussing conditions and a diagnosis with our patients. Clearly our patients seem to understand some of our treatment techniques, but we're not explaining a diagnosis very well. So it's interesting with some of those words that rehabilitation was better understood and had less repercussions for a patient than what the word exercise did. And I think it comes down to the patient you're dealing with. If you're dealing with a patient that has had negative responses to exercise in the past, they've been upfront with you, they don't really like exercise, I think the worst thing you can do in your language when you're talking to that patient is keep using the word exercise. You need to step outside the box, you need to really step into the mind and body of your, of your patient and think to yourself, well, if I don't like exercise, then I know that I really have to get them to do some type of exercise in order to gain an improvement in their condition, but maybe I can, I can use a different word to describe what we're trying to achieve here. And obviously rehabilitation might be a very good word to switch to. It was interesting the word coping was problematic to our patients. I think they interpreted that word in this study as just making do rather than using more empowering language to try and encourage our patients to be active participants and not just make do, but try and be better self-managers of their condition. So moving on to also in the study, they categorised the terms that we just talked about and then they talked to the patient about how they perceived those terms. Then they talked to the clinician about what they actually meant when they said that term. So for instance, non-specific lower back pain. When we use that term, a patient perceives it as the clinician does not understand the cause of the pain or how to treat it. It was therefore considered non-existent or all in their head. But what the clinician meant was that there was no specific cause for the symptoms and it could not be found following diagnostic investigations. Clearly, misunderstandings between what the patient perceives and what we as therapists are trying to portray. Even the word acute to a patient, they felt that that word meant mild pain. So of course, if a patient's presenting in quite severe pain and the therapist uses the word acute, the patient could feel very frustrated that the therapist was not gaining the whole picture and how much pain this patient was actually in but the therapist was actually meaning that 
The pain was of a recent onset relating to time frames. Chronic was another one. The word chronic to a patient, they felt like it meant a couple of steps away from a wheelchair or never going away. But once again, the clinician meant it was pain of duration longer than six weeks or three months. So maybe instead of using the word chronic, we should be using because this pain's been around for longer than six weeks. Same with acute, because this pain has been present for less than six weeks. So it was very interesting, this study, and even the words of wear and tear. To a patient, it meant wearing out, it meant rotting away, no treatment available, likely to get progressively worse, or being fobbed off from a clinician. What the clinician meant was that it was a normal process of aging. So even with our very best intentions and our training, what we tell our patients can be perceived as something completely different and in some ways extremely harmful. So I think as a graduate, you're probably sitting there thinking, well, goodness me, what words can I actually use now? I think the trick is, is that really you need to really dumb it down for your patients and get back to really the layman's terms that if you were speaking to someone who knew nothing about physiotherapy, they would understand. Cut out all the clinical language and also really clarify with your patient at the end of consultations, especially after an initial, do you understand um, what we've talked about today and does it bother you in any way or is it worrying to you? Are you comfortable that you know we can achieve what we need to achieve? So you've asked them if they have any concerns and you've also empowered them that yes, we can go ahead and achieve great things here, but are you comfortable that you can do that? There's no barriers that you're concerned about. And I think if you can, if you can have those discussions with your patients and after the first consultation, it may even need to be reinforced again at the second consultation or third consultation, because we know that we get a lot of patients that do return on the second, the third, the fourth, and they may still have some concerns. So just because we say it once in the first consultation doesn't mean that there's going to be automatic change. It may need to be a molding process over time and just keep reinforcing the positive language rather than the negative language.